0: Hello, lovely Buddhas. In this episode, I continue with the NHR volume 1, reading pages 79 to 98. The iniquity of the United States-Japan Security Treaty was apparent to all, and it was Japan's Prime Minister Nobusuke Kishi and his cabinet who were strongly intent upon revising it. When Prime Minister Kishi formed his cabinet in February 1957, He immediately set about amending two laws, the self-defense forces law and the law establishing Japan's defense agency. As a result, he expanded the self-defense forces by approximately 10,000 troops and generally bolstered Japan's military strength. By then, Japan was entering a period of rapid growth. The 1956 White Paper on the Economy stated that Japan's post-war period was already over and that the country was approaching the nations of the west in terms of economic strength against this background of military and economic development prime minister kishi embarked on securing a revision to the security treaty with the united states By turning Japan into an anti-communist military force in Asia, Kishi's intention was to put the relationship with the United States on a more equal footing, while at the same time establishing a strong position for its foreign relations with the Soviet Union and China. This path diverged greatly from that of former Japanese Prime Minister Shigeru Yoshida, who signed the San Francisco Peace Treaty. Yoshida had sought to rely on the United States for military power while Japan channeled its energies into economic development and worked to earn a place as a member of the family of free nations through its economic strength. The United States had insisted up to this point that any revision of the security treaty would be premature, but various developments around this time caused the United States to reassess its military strategy in the Far East. Soviet technology had advanced to the point of developing ICBMs – intercontinental ballistic missiles capable of making a direct strike on Washington, D.C. from Moscow. America lagged behind the Soviet Union in missile technology. As it poured energy into developing its own ICBMs to counter the Soviet threat, The United States also focused effort on promoting an accord with the nations of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, to establish a network of missile bases in order to encircle the Soviet Union with IRBMs, which are intermediate-range ballistic missiles. In its military strategy in the Far East as well, the United States began placing high priority on nuclear missiles. Therefore, as America's need for missile bases increased, the importance of stationing and maintaining ground forces in Japan steadily diminished. It was against this setting that the United States agreed to revise its security treaty with Japan, and the first U.S.-Japan conference for this purpose was held on October 4, 1958. As if to stay apace with these developments, the Kishi cabinet, four days later, on October 8 suddenly submitted a bill to amend Japan's police duties execution law for deliberation by the lower house. The proposed amendment to the police duties execution law initiated by the Kishi administration was aimed at strengthening police authority. It sought to grant broad discretionary powers to police in matters such as the questioning and search of suspects and the right to enter buildings or property. As soon as the amendment was submitted to the lower house, however, the Socialist Party, then the largest opposition party, sought its immediate withdrawal and assumed an intractable stance by refusing to participate in any deliberation on the issue. The media also strongly opposed the measure, charging that it would invite violations of basic human rights. Even popular news and gossip magazines featured, featured the issue. While one weekly warned of the dangers of the proposed legislation under the disparaging headline, police law will interfere with dating. It was said that the ruling Liberal Democratic Party's motivation in proposing the amendment lay in its desire to suppress certain activities. These would have included the labor dispute then taking place at the OG Paper Company Limited and the Japan Teachers Union c- campaign against the government's teacher performance rating system, which had been fully implemented that year and was arousing powerful opposition. Another view held that it was a preemptive measure to thwart an anticipated movement against the new revision of the Security Treaty. Not only did the Socialist Party maintain its vehement opposition to the police law amendment in the national diet, but it also organized a national citizens' conference against the wrongful amendment of the police law, which was joined by an array of groups transcending political philosophy or ideology. On November 5, 1957, a mass demonstration took place with participants including celebrities, scholars and women's groups. In all, some 4.6 million workers are said to have walked off their jobs in protest. Then on November 15, mass rallies were held throughout the nation as the protest movement unfolded on an unprecedented scale. The government of Prime Minister Kishi found itself with no choice but to try to gain control of the situation and at last abandoned the proposed amendment. Nothing is stronger than the people. The power of the people is similar to the power of the earth. Once the magma of the people's anger arises, tremors will follow with an energy that can even move mountains. One must never forget that the people are always the driving force for transforming society and the times. The success of the public's opposition in forcing the withdrawal of the police law amendment had a powerful impact on many spheres of society, underscoring eloquently the great potential contained in a movement led by the people. This experience, no doubt, bolstered the confidence of the Socialist Party, for although it did not have a majority in the national diet, it could block the passage of key legislation through the momentum of a popular movement. There was a latent danger, however, that such thinking could foster contempt for the parliamentary system of democracy. In any event, the debacle over the Police law amendment caused Prime Minister Kishi to lose the public's trust in a single stroke, incurring such suspicion towards his administration that its future was thrown into grave doubt. On November 27, 1959, As the Kishi government found itself in a difficult situation, it was announced that Japan's crown prince Akihito, who became emperor in 1989, was to be formally engaged to Michiko Shoda, the future crown princess, who also became empress in 1989. The media, which had been restricted from speculative reporting on the marriage of the crown prince, was now free to give extensive coverage and issue daily reports about the royal love story. Michiko would be the first commoner to wed a crown prince in Japan, and public attention suddenly turned away from politics to focus on the future princess. News stories emphasised the couple's romance, which had blossomed on the tennis courts of the resort city Karuizawa in Nagano Prefecture. Dubbed the Cinderella of the Showa era, Michiko found herself suddenly bathed in the media spotlight as what came to be known as a Michi-boom swept the country. As a result, The harsh criticism directed towards Prime Minister Kishi and his government soon subsided, and the adverse winds that had buffeted them gradually eased. Some reportedly believed that the manoeuvring of the Kishi administration lay behind the seemingly fortuitous timing of the royal marriage announcement. Its crisis now passed, the Kishi cabinet proceeded steadily to lay the groundwork of the revision of the United States-Japan Security Treaty engaging in preparations within its party ranks while furthering its treaty-related negotiations within the United States-Japan Joint Committee. The Socialist Party, meanwhile, based on a political platform of unarmed neutrality for Japan, opposed revision of the security treaty. The public's interest in the treaty, however, remained low. The Socialist Party agreed with the ruling Liberal Democratic Party that the current security treaty was unequal. Yet, because the socialists also sought to maintain Japan's military neutrality, aligning it neither with East nor West, they held that the current treaty should be abolished and that a new security arrangement be formed among Japan, the United States, the Soviet Union and China. This contrasted completely with LDP's position, which recognized the necessity of a security treaty with the United States but insisted that the iniquity and one-sidedness of the current treaty must be revised to form a truly reciprocal agreement. The opposition parties began preparing campaigns against the revision of the security treaty around the end of March 1959, mobilizing the same basic structure they had used for the National Citizens Conference against the wrongful revision of the police law, the Socialist Party, together with the General Council of Trade Unions and other organizations, eventually succeeded in establishing a group called the National Citizens Conference to hold the revision of the Security Treaty. However, the movement to block the revision of the Security Treaty tended to lack cohesive un- unity. In October 1959, 33 representatives broke away from the Socialist Party under the name of the Socialist Club. The following January, they formed the Democratic Socialist Party based upon a platform of anti-communism and parliamentary democracy. Lack of unity in the movement against the Security Treaty revision was not limited to groups formed by the Japan Socialist Party, but could also be seen in those organized by the labor unions. In addition, the Zenga Kuren All Japan Federation of Students Self-Governing Associations. The National Organization of Japan's left-wing student movement had split into mainstream and anti-mainstream factions, with a deep rift separating the two. The Zenga-Kuren originally fell under the leadership of the Japan Communist Party. Towards the end of 1958, however, student members opposed to central control by the JCP formed an alliance called the Communist League, also nicknamed the Bunto, after the German word Bund, meaning an alliance or federation. The students in the League comprised the mainstream of the Jenga Kuren and dominated its executive leadership, while the pro- pro-JCP students formed the anti-mainstream faction. On November 27, 1959, as negotiations for revising the U.S.-Japan Security Treaty were entering the final stage, the National Citizens' Conference to halt the revision of the Security Treaty planned its 8th nationwide mass protest and held a demonstration outside the National Diet compound to petition for termination of the revision negotiations. It was a peaceful and orderly demonstration. At the same time, however, a group of students from the Zengakuren mainstream, the Bunto, together with a small core of labor unionists gained entry to the National Diet complex. When they opened the main gates, some 20,000 protesters then stormed the compound. The storming of the parliament building had been planned by the Bunto leadership, which not only denounced American imperialism, but also claimed that Japan and even the Soviet Union had become corrupted by imperialism as well. They called for the destruction of all imperialism in all forms. As a first step towards this in Japan, the Bunto advocated blocking the security treaty revision and to that end began to advance a radical agenda that did not rule out violent protest. The following morning, headlines like Demonstrator Storm Diet Compound appeared in the newspapers with articles extremely critical of the incident. The ruling LDP issued a statement saying that the storming of the diet showed a blatant contempt for that body's authority and called the incident a deliberate and destructive act of revolution arising from a conspiracy between the socialist and communist parties. The JSP, for its part, announced that it would take a strict stance towards this faction of individuals from the Zengakuren and other bodies and demand that they reflect seriously upon their actions. The Communist Party, meanwhile, criticized the mainstream faction of the Zengakuren, calling them Trotskites. Nevertheless, the incident ultimately heightened public interest in the proposed security treaty revision. This had a strong impact on those students who had wondered whether conventional protest methods would be enough to stop the revision. Despite the condemnation from the established political parties, the Zengakuran rallied many students to its cause, thus increasing its momentum. Spurred by the student storming of the Diet, the LDP immediately sponsored a Guarantee of Parliamentary Deliberation Rights Act, which was intended to restrict demonstrations and other group activities in the vicinity of the National Diet Building. Though it was approved by the lower house following deliberation by the ruling party alone, the bill was ultimately abandoned. On January 16, 1960, a fully empowered Japanese delegation, headed by Prime Minister Kishi, left Japan's Haneda Airport for the United States to sign sign the new U.S.-Japan security treaty. The night before, approximately 700 students from the mainstream faction of the Zengakuren attempted to block the delegation's departure by staging a sit-in at Haneda, only to be dispersed by police. The delegations of both countries, headed respectively by U.S. Secretary of State Christian Herter and Japanese Prime Minister Kishi signed the new security treaty at 2.30 p.m. on January 19. The signing, which was also attended by US President Dwight Eisenhower, took place in the East Room of the White House, the same room where, 100 years before, the first Japanese mission to the United States had concluded the US-Japan Treaty of Amity and Commerce. In tandem with the conclusion of the new treaty, the representatives of both countries also signed the status of forces agreement designating the status of the united states armed forces in japan and exchanged related notes and minutes the new security treaty formally called the treaty of mutual cooperation and security between japan and the united states of america consisted of a preamble and 10 articles with a term of effectiveness initially set at 10 years in addition the new treaty rectified the inequality and lack of reciprocity in the original treaty by clarifying America's defense obligations to Japan. At the same time, however, it bound Japan to expanding and strengthening its military and thereby shouldering part of the U.S. military commitment in the Far East. In this connection, Article 3 of the treaty states that both Japan and the U.S. will maintain and develop subject to their constitutional provisions, their capacities to resist armed attack. As witnessed in the second defense plan subsequently enacted by the Japanese government and other policy measures, this article was a virtual mandate for Japan to strengthen its military. Further, Article 5 of the Security Treaty stipulates, Each party recognizes that an armed attack against either party in territories under the administration of japan would be dangerous to its own peace and safety and declares that it would act to meet the common danger in other words if american military bases in japan were attacked, japan would be obliged to help protect them a provision that exposed japan to the risk of being embroiled in war Article 6, meanwhile, clarifies Japan's recognition of the right of American forces in that country to use their bases for the purpose of contributing not only to the security of Japan, but also to the maintenance of international peace and security in the Far East. This meant that Japan was now incorporated as an integral part of U.S. Far East strategy. After the new security treaty was signed, it was presented before the di- Diet for ratification. A special security committee was formed in the House of Representatives, the lower house, and deliberations commenced in earnest on February 19, 1960. The committee began by wrangling over whether the Diet in fact had the authority to modify the treaty. Turbulent debate also ensued over such questions as the scope and parameter of what the treaty refers to as the far east and the meaning of the term prior conferral or as a condition for mobilizing american troops then suddenly a new incident took center stage it came to be known as the black jet issue in september of the previous year a jet aircraft of unknown national origin which had been painted over entirely in black with no visible insignia made an unscheduled landing at a commercial airport in the city of fujisawa in japan's kanagawa prefecture while many details concerning the u2 jet remained unexplained the united states dismissed it as an american weather observation plane eight months later on may 5 1960 soviet premier Nikita Khrushchev reported in a speech before the Politburo that the Soviet Union had shot down an American plane that had violated Soviet airspace. On that occasion as well, the United States announced that the jet in question was an unarmed weather observation plane. On May 7, however, Khrushchev made a shocking counterclaim, calling the American statement a lie. In fact, he said, the plane's pilot was alive and had confessed under interrogation that the purpose of his intrusion into Soviet airspace was to conduct photo reconnaissance for espionage. The United States' response to the Soviet charges was defiant as well. All nations gather intelligence, it said. In 1955, the United States had proposed to the Soviets a joint agreement to monitor each other's airspace in order to forestall the possibility of a surprise attack with weapons of mass destruction. The Soviet Union, however, had rejected the proposal. The unarmed U 2 aircraft had, for the past four years, been patrolling the borders of free nations as an unavoidable preventive measure against such a surprise attack. This was the stance taken by America. On May 9, the Special Security Committee of the Diet took up the issue at once. That day, Premier Khrushchev had issued a stern warning to any Western nation permitting its air bases to be used for the purpose of violating Soviet airspace, threatening that those bases will become targets for Soviet rockets. Khrushchev's warning also heightened the sense of danger felt by the Japanese that the conclusion of the new security treaty might entangle Japan in a conflict between the United States and the Soviet Union, thus leading it back down the path to war. The U-2 spy plane incident brought home to the world just how deep-rooted the Cold War between East and West had been. The year 1960 had opened with hopes of a thaw in East-West relations. Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev had visited the United States the previous September, attending a session of the UN General Assembly and holding meetings with President Eisenhower at the White House and at Camp David, Maryland. It was the first time in the 14 years of the Cold War that a spring-like ray of sunlight had emerged, easing the tensions between the two camps. This warming in relations was prompted in part by the threat Soviet progress in nuclear missile development posed to the United States, which still lagged behind in such technology. Dialogue between the leaders of the two nations was also essential to resolve disputes over the partitioning of Berlin, a result of Germany's defeat in World War II. Undoubtedly, the greatest factor of all, however, was that the leaders of both nations had begun to understand the dangers inherent in a Cold War, where both sides were engaged in heated competition to develop and stockpile nuclear weapons. According to American scientist Linus Pauling, The United States at that time possessed a stockpile of nuclear weapons 20 times larger than that necessary to wipe out the entire population of the earth, while the Soviet Union possessed an arsenal about half that size. At the UN General Assembly, Khrushchev outlined a plan where each nation of the world would do away with its armaments in four years, and he submitted as a proposal before the Assembly his talks with eisenhower also resulted in the two leaders pledging to each other and the world to settle international problems not by military force but through peaceful dialogue it certainly seemed that a momentous turning point had arrived in addition that year the people of the world were placing their hopes for peaceful coexistence in that east-west summit slated for may 16 in paris it would be the first such meeting in five years However. Revelations concerning the Udu Spice Plane incident derailed the Paris summit and caused Soviet leaders to effectively reject Eisenhower's scheduled June visit to the Soviet Union. The Cold War instead intensified and relations that had shown signs of a thaw were plunged once again into the depths of winter. The people of both the Soviet Union and the United States yearned for peace. however. The hearts of their respective leaders were separated by an unbridgeable gulf of mutual distrust. It was such mistrust that gave rise to the u spy plane affair, the discovery of which fueled the atmosphere of suspicion and recrimination on both sides, reversing what progress had been made thus far towards peace. Shinichi Yamamoto had kept a sharp eye on the news each day. The tense situation deeply stirred his interest as he turned the details over in his mind again and again. On May 19, 1960, as opposition to the new security treaty mounted following the U2 spy plane incident, the Kishi administration embarked on a brash course of action that was to leave a great blemish upon Japan's parliamentary system of democracy. That evening, the Diet Committee on Rules and Administration, which had recessed after becoming deadlocked in a debate over extending the current 34th session of parliament, suddenly reconvened on the one-sided decision of the committee's ruling party membership. The ruling party majority then voted to place a motion for a 50-day extension before the full Diet. Outraged at the unilateral action, Diet members of the Japan Socialist Party staged a sit-in in a hall outside the office of the Speaker of the House. Their intent was to block commencement of a plenary session of the house of representatives which required the speaker's presence unable to leave his office house speaker ichiro kiyose then requested a unit of five hundred police officers be dispatched to the diet compound it was truly an unprecedented scene in post-war japan politics some 30,000 demonstrators responded to a call from such organizations as the mainstream Zengakuren and the National Citizens Conference to hold the revision of the security treaty and jammed the area outside the diet compound in the pouring rain. At 10.25 p.m., the opening bell rang for the plenary session of the diet. As if in response to a pre-arranged signal, it was suddenly announced that the Special Security Committee, which had been in recess, would now reconvene. The majority of the JSP members on that committee were still engaged in the sit-down in front of the Speaker's office. Pandemonium ensued as the remaining JSP Committee members rushed at the Security Committee Chairman and pushing and shoving broke out among opposing party members. As the uproar continued, the security committee passed a motion to submit the new security treaty to the National Diet. The entire episode took only three minutes. However, the continued shouting and jostling prevented any transcript of the proceedings from being recorded. Just after 11 p.m., police arrived and began to bodily remove the JSP members lodged in front of the speaker's room. Finally, at around 11.50 p.m., house speaker Kiyose entered the main assembly hall escorted by diet guards under these highly irregular circumstances the diet was declared open with only members of the ruling liberal democratic party present the fifty-day extension was immediately approved then just after midnight on the morning of may twentieth after a report from the chairman of the special security committee approval of the new security treaty was rammed through the diet without deliberation or discussion it was truly a delinquent course of action subverting the very process of parliamentary democracy even some members of the ldp opposed the move nearly thirty representatives had been absent during the proceedings excluding those missing due to illness why had the ldp decided to employ such strong armed tactics to force passage of the new security treaty. On June 19, President Eisenhower was scheduled to visit Japan to commemorate the centennial of the first United States-Japan Treaty of Amity and Commerce. Since 30 days were required for the new security treaty to take effect once it was passed by the House of Representatives, May 20th was the final chance to have the treaty approved and in force by the time of Eisenhower's visit. The people's indignation flared at the outrageous tactics of the Liberal Democratic Party enforcing passage of the new security treaty. From this point on, the anti-security treaty movement grew to a scale and intensity unprecedented in Japan's post-war history. However, more than the actual content of the security treaty itself, it was the people's anger at the Kishi administration's disregard for the process of parliamentary democracy that rallied them to action. Many scholars and intellectuals who had previously been undecided about the security treaty now expressed their opposition to it out of their desire to protect the democratic process. People joined the demonstrations in growing numbers, carrying placards with slogans like Kishi Resign and Dissolve the Diet. Shinichi Yamamoto, meanwhile, had just been inaugurated as the third president of the Soka Gakkai earlier that month, on May third, and was devoting himself energetically to creating a fresh surge of progress towards Kosen Rufu. He was also deeply concerned about the tenor of events that had unfolded in the Diet concerning the security treaty. Shinichi, like many others, was pained by what he perceived as a threat to Japan's system of democracy. Needless to say, the question of what to do about the security treaty was one of profound importance to Japan. The old security treaty clearly was an unequal agreement that limited Japanese sovereignty. Yet, there were many points about the new treaty as well that begged for improvement. But if the new treaty was abandoned completely as the Japan Socialist Party proposed, It would leave Japan facing the major problem of how to mend the inevitable drift in Japan-U.S. relations such a move would cause. This only underscored the vital need for conducting thorough deliberation with the aim of finding better solutions and reaching a consensus, while making a conscious effort to clarify problem areas by focusing squarely on the realities involved. Although quite a long time had been spent discussing the new security treaty, there had been no deliberation in the true sense of the word. Representatives of both the LDP and JSP had taken a stubborn and inflexible stand, their minds already made up before the talks even began. While the LDP ran impetuously towards passage of the new treaty, the JSP obstinately pursued its rejection the arbitrary way in which the ldp had rammed the treaty through the diet by relying on its strength in numbers symbolized a destructive act towards japan's parliamentary system of government it must be said however that a great portion of the responsibility for what happened also lay with the jsp which failed to respond with any effective countermeasures in the diet though one cannot deny the importance of citizens movements It is the responsibility of the nation's elected representatives to carry out thorough discussion and thereby arrive at a solution. It should never be forgotten that the very life of the democratic system lies in tenacious dialogue and debate aimed at reaching a consensus. That brings us to the end of today's reading. I hope you have an amazing day.